Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today, man, I have one of the most special, if not the most special guest I've ever had on this show. Dr. Jerome Corsi is joining us. So stay with us. We are back, and I'm getting ready to bring Dr. Corsi on the show, but I want to ask every one of you right now to share this out to every person you know, every group you know. We have massive breaking news that Dr. Corsi is going to line out for us today. So, Dr. Corsi, welcome to the show. A great pleasure to be with you, Ken. Thank you very much. I am beyond honored to have you here. And, you know, we can we can quickly talk about um, your a little bit of your background. Um, you know, you have like 300 degrees from Harvard or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but I have a PhD from Harvard. That's amazing. So amazing. So, Dr. Corsi, uh, maybe tell everybody just a little bit about where you, you know, where you're from and, and, and who you are. Well, I was born and raised in East Cleveland, Ohio, and I attended school at St. Ignatius High School, and then I went to Case Western Reserve for college. Uh, I published my first books as an undergraduate, and uh, I got into Harvard as a PhD program. They accepted me also in the law school in those years. That was 1968, and you couldn't do a dual program. At least they didn't offer it at that time, and the um, political science department at Harvard had offered me a National Science Foundation grant traineeship, which paid all my expenses and paid me $1,000 a month with at that time was quite good. Yeah. And um, a law school, I would have had to have paid to go. So I didn't really have much choice. I had stayed at home for college because resources were limited. I paid my own way through college and worked through college. The um, The basic point is, though, you know, I, at Harvard, I really uh, got a chance to, to expand my studies, ex expand contacts I had. I was always writing and publishing. And um, I've had really three careers for the first part of my uh, professional career, actually four careers. I was in public relations working myself through school and was working for one of the oldest and largest PR firms in the country, Edward Howard and Company in Cleveland. And then I would, then that was a very successful career there. I got to meet Edward Bernays, who was the head of the creator of public relations, very famous figure in public relations, spent time with him. My father hired him. My father was public relations director for the Brotherhood of Railroad Trainmen. Wow. And, uh, and it's how I grew up in a democratic family. And um, the, uh, the whole experience, my second career really was, you know, teaching in universities. Well, I didn't really do much teaching. Uh, I tired of it pretty quickly. It was too repetitive for me. I began again doing research for the federal government under contracts with grants. I conducted some of the uh, largest 
field experiments, randomized field experiments done in social science, testing the application of telephone and other communications technology to legal practices, which had uh, due process standards that demanded in-person uh, presence. And I felt that with the technology coming on, the technology was going to be superior in many ways to the in-person. And we proved that in a four-year field experiment in New Mexico. And I ended it up at the University of Denver in Colorado, uh, where we were doing randomized field tests of telephone and in-person uh, random assignment of both unemployment insurance and welfare hearings. These were uh, Goldberg v. Kelly hearings under the standard of the Supreme Court for due process in these kinds of judicial, quasi-judicial administrative law hearings. And um, I also I designed a, a, a computer model that predicted the outcome of terrorist events. And I published that at the um, journal of, uh, it was a journal of conflict resolution at Yale. That was a game theoretic journal that had roots back in John von Neumann that whole group that was some of the genius mathematicians who were around uh, the uh, Manhattan Project with the nuclear weapons we developed in World War II. Uh, so that got me to be consulting with the federal government. I got a top secret clearance and consulted with a group of psychiatrists and psychologists uh, for years on how to deal with bad guys, terrorists, uh, various kinds of prisoners. We interviewed POWs. We did a lot of work in those years to really understand uh, criminals of various kinds. I always had an intuitive feeling of racial violence and race riots. That's my early work was done on the race riots in um, the 1960s, going back to 65 with the Watts riot and the Huff riot in Cleveland. And um, <clears throat> basically, that career ended after I finished some of the research and it was at the University of Denver and was just done with the universities. There were two leftist even in those days for me. And um, I wasn't- And, and you grew up in a democratic house. Yes, I did. <laughs> well, my, I, as a kid, I mean, at, at 1952, uh, I was five or six years old when Eisenhower and Stevenson were uh, running for president. I liked Eisenhower, the Republican general who had been supreme allied commander my father liked stevenson who was the democrat and he was i always considered him an egghead he first of all had a sh egghead shape head and he was losing his hair and he carried around this little leather briefcase that was he, i think a big governor of illinois came from illinois wow uh, and so he um i remember this one picture one day in this life magazine where they someone had taken a picture of Stevenson on a dais, he was giving a speech and you could see the bottom of his shoe, the, the, the sole of his shoe had a hole in it. And this was the whole back picture of Life magazine. In those days, they pick, put a picture in the back page, last page of the magazine. I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. I wanted to ask him how he was going to vote for a guy who wasn't smart enough or capable of getting himself a good pair of shoes, how he was going to take care of the country. Oh, my, dad said, my dad said, well, Jerry, you don't understand. That's, that's how hard he's working for the people. <clears throat> wow. I, said, I guess we're not going to get anywhere in this discussion. <laughs> so, so um, I, I, I'm I, okay. So you're one of the smartest people that I have ever had a conversation with. And apparently it started around six years old. <laughs> so. I, I, I went to, my mother took me to kidding. First of all, you know, I always say, look, 
people have said to me this my entire life, you know, and I've said, compared to God, you know, I haven't spent a lot of my time. First of all, I can't make a tree even today. I couldn't make one if I my life depended on it. And I've been wondering since I was a child what the equation was for a tree. And I finally started studying practical math and I found the equation to make a tree. I still can't make one. God can. <laughs> so I don't think I'm all that smart. I'm going to have some things to discuss with God when hopefully I get another opportunity. Right. So, so you, um, you have been very outspoken in, we'll just say in the, the political world. Um, I know I've seen interviews of you on Fox News and MSNBC and or MSDNC, I think it's called now. Um, but the, I mean, you've been on a lot of a lot of shows that um, you know. Uh, talk about what because this show is really about helping people get unstuck or have a breakthrough. And, and I think one of the things I see about you and after getting to know you over the last couple of weeks or so, I I see this, um, there's this side of you that just doesn't give a crap about what anybody (laughs) else thinks. (laughs) Well, I came home from school. First, my mother took me to kindergarten. I came home and said, they let us out early. Okay. Second day came home early. I said, well, they let us out early. She said, Jerry, they don't let you out early every day. I said, okay, well, let's go see. Why don't we go meet the principal? Jerry, why are we going to go? Well, we're going to meet the principal sooner or later. Let's just go introduce ourselves. <laughs> and uh, they wanted to put me in a special school. My mother said I wouldn't be socially adjusted. And I, I said to her, well, mother, do you think I'm socially adjusted now? <laughs> and she thought I just wanted to stay home with her. And I said, to her, well, they're teaching these kids to, they're going to teach them how to read, you know, run, spot, yeah. run. So yeah. I'm reading my dad's college books over here. He was going through Western Reserve University at that time in the GI Bill. He got his, he got his uh, BA uh, about 1954, as I recall. And I, again, that time I was what, you know, I, I was pretty young all these years. And, uh, you know, the, basically, I was reading his college books, and I would come to him and say, "Is this really a college? They can't. If this is the way you're teaching you chemistry or geology, I'm never taking it because they, they don't know what they're talking about." <laughs> I said, what do you say? What do you mean, Jerry? He said, "Well, the, I look at a chemistry book, and they got organic and inorganic chemistry." I said, "Now, do they really believe some chemicals are alive and some chemicals aren't?" <laughs> right. So I went through this whole discussion about you know hydrocarbon fuels and how and from dinosaurs I said no I said no wait a minute I said that there's just chemicals okay let's there's just <laughs> chemicals right and they're all chemicals they're the same wow. and they're not they're not really they're they said you want to say they're alive because they got subatomic okay I can see that but they're not really alive I mean right God gives them a soul they're not alive and then they they're talking about this geology we've got aeons and aeons of changes you know they wanted to believe it was not cataclysmic. You know, there was one thing I said, dad, now we drove along down first. They opened the Pennsylvania turnpike. My dad was born in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. We would drive down there to visit his family from Greensburg, my Italian side of my family. My mother's Irish was Irish and she was, um, hardheaded, stubborn. They, my dad never missed a question on an intelligence test. It was a brilliant. I used to try to find intelligence questions that he might, I never could stump him. 
he, but he, he was a tough, tough guy. At any rate, uh, I'd say, well, you know, Dad, remember when we, we they had cutaway, first time I'd ever seen, uh, they just opened the Pennsylvania Turnpike, one of the first in the country. And it struck me because they cut through a lot of rock to create this and sedimentary rock as well. And I could, I looked in and I could see that, um, you know, the, the different strata of soil, inclines, inclines and anticlines and different layers. And I said, well, dad, this book says it's all gradual. And uh, we just drove the turnpike and now, and I said, I, I saw the different levels. He said, well, that's right, Jerry. It's, it's gradual change. I said, well, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, I understand this part here is kind of tan and then the next part's kind of red. <laughs> So that's, that's right, right. That's gradual change. I'm not talking about it. I want to know the line in between when they change, what happened? Because that line looks pretty sudden to me. It's all here and then it's this. That's what happened. And he said, you know, basically he had his basic answer, which was, you know, don't bother me with that nonsense kid. <laughs> right. well, no, well, at least it wasn't the state. Go ask your mom. The standard, standard. No, he actually he actually had a different answer, but it's not particularly polite for <laughs> yeah. for broadcasting. Right. So 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 you grew up obviously a very curious child. I've I've always thought you know um, when it came to especially with formal education um, that that I was I always thought well somebody originated this thought like where did they get their information like you know i've always been a let's go deeper here so it sounds like we have some similarities there but let, let's talk a little bit about because you have been um i'll just put it out there you've been on the trump train and 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 you have written books about you know the coup d'etat book that you've written um abomination and all sorts of books about um, politics. And, and, you know, I recently said, made a statement publicly that, you know, I feel like both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, have some really bad players in both parties. Well, I think we're going through, <clears throat> a, I'm a political scientist by training, and I, that was always, from the time I was a kid, I was you know, the, the long and short of the story was I it was pretty much truant from school and I watched a lot of politics and really did enjoy being in Washington with my dad, who taught me a lot about Washington, even as a kid. Yeah. And um, the you know, the we have gone through five or six major realignments in America since the founding. Uh, the last major realignment of voters was around 1968 when um, the. Democrats who had been in the South, and the South was always where the slaves were. And the slaves were the South was slaveholders, and they were um, racist, the segregationists. They even after the Civil War, they wanted they did not want to free the slaves, and that's where segregation was in Jim Crow and all the way even to the fifties when I first saw the South and really saw the racial segregation. I was pretty shocked growing up, but at any rate, in the '68. Uh, when we had all the riots, and you know that it was uh, the it was Nixon versus Humphrey, and um, there was Kevin Phillips wrote this brilliant book called "The Emerging Republican Majority," and I remember buying a copy. I still have it when it came out, and reading it, just devouring it, because he said there's a realignment going on where the 
South is now leaving the Democratic Party because it's Lyndon Johnson and they're seeing the socialism and the new, his great, you know, his great society programs and the beginning of the uh, the care the care mill bills was was the first form starting with Obama Gate. It was just for the poor. They always start out gradually with these programs before they expand them to everybody. That's a, that's the socialist way of incrementalism. Mm. And the South was becoming Republican. They called it the New South strategy for Nixon, and that was a major shift because the South moved from Democratic to vote Republican, and that stayed that way through today when mm. the South is still the one of the bulwarks of the Republican Party. But what's happened in our politics today is that uh, both the Republican Party, the GOP, and the Democratic Party have now are now in the process of committing suicide. The Democrats have become outright Marxists, if not Maoists, and they're throwing out the middle of the party. They don't want them anymore. And the GOP have become establishment uh, they love Wall Street. They think uh, Davos is great. They're for New World Order. They're for global trade. They don't really believe in a border. They're all getting wealthy in this, you know, the revolving door between the lobbyists and law firms and the public relations firms and Congress. And they come in no money and they end up getting millions. And Mitch McConnell has all these investments in China because of his wife owning transportation companies in communist China, and they're all compromised. The American public is sick of both of them. Yeah. Donald Trump has come along with a, uh, a party that is really, I think, the new emerging party, which is the mega party, the Make America Great Again party, because Donald Trump has articulated the fundamental American values that we're, we're sick of having God thrown out of our schools. Uh, Obama ridiculed Americans for clinging to their guns and their Bibles. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm very pleased we have a First Amendment for religious freedom. I'm pleased we have a Second Amendment that is not free to the militia, but gives the average citizen the right to own a weapon. Right. These are fundamental to our freedom. And the middle America is believes in God, uh, maybe doesn't go to church as much as it should, and the churches have also become institutions which have become corrupted teaching liberation theology, and we've got a socialist pope who seems to think our abortion's okay because the planet is going to die if we have too many people. I mean, these too many these people always amuse me. There's too many people. Yeah, they already want to kill everybody but themselves. They want to kill everybody else so they get more. Yeah. It's ridiculous. This earth could support 10 times the population. If we'd work together, maybe we're going to have an era of that once we get rid of these lying, cheating, Marxist, criminal Democrats. All, all you have to do is take a drive through Nebraska <laughs> and go, wow, we could have a lot more houses out here. And we could have uh, a lot more freedom and we could have a lot more yeah. wealth. We could have a lot more, but we got to come back to God. Yeah, got, got to have belief in God. A yeah. human being separates belief from God, they become evil and they become dangerous. And, you know, I, I always tempt people say, say, okay, you're an atheist. We'll prove it. You said you're an atheist. You just gave me the idea of God. You said atheist. You denied God in order to tell me you didn't believe in God. You told me about God. <laughs> right. So you're an atheist. Okay. I want you to express you don't believe in God without reference to God. You can't do it. 
Right. Well, that's because God's hardwired into the nature of a human being. And you deny it, you're denying your basic fundamental nature, and you become evil. Now, the the far the West Coast, including the insanity going on in Portland, Oregon, where I used to live, and, and Washington State, and then California along the coast, and you take the United, you know, the East from Boston through New York to Washington, this insanity, and uh, America would be happy if they both fell into the ocean. We wouldn't miss a lot of it, except for some of the people. Right. If they want to go on their own insanity, I think it'll be cleaned up in the next couple of years, but their insanity, you know, they want to have uh, the, you know, look, we've, I first went to New Orleans when I was a kid and I knew the show Bard. I understood transvestites and I knew there were some people who were transvestites and fine. They want to do that. Well, we've always had 1% of the population that's on some kind of a sexual kick and that's probably never going to go away. And I'm not here to judge it. God says in the Bible, he'll judge all that. So I'll leave it to God. But the point is, I don't have to have those people come in with no underwear and teaching the kindergarten kids a story hour, prancing around in their whatever they want to prance around in. The show bar, fine. But in the in the kindergarten, or, or making them normal and making them, everybody else has to take a knee to that. I mean, for, to 1% of the population, that's a little weird. And then, you know, the drugs and everything else to come with it. And by the way, uh, the bureaucracy is also corrupt. And Obama packed all these people who are globalists in it. The formula of the multinational corporations controlling the world and um, you have little socialism. So the serfs, the slaves, at least get free medical care. Now it's not worth anything. You're going to die anyway. They don't have any, they don't have much to give you. Take an aspirin. You know, one operation, get get in line. Uh, that's that's free anything, but at least free. Well, that was Hitler's formula. And Wall Street funded Hitler. Prescott Bush was running a Nazi bank. He was with Brown Brothers Harriman. And they were raising capital on Wall Street for Hitler. When Hitler came in in the 30s. Everybody said, look at this. He's going to redevelop Germany. He's going to build an Autobahn. We're going to have the Volkswagen, the people's car. That was Hitler's design. Wow. Okay, and yet he won the multinational corporations because the Dulles family and the Bush family and the Abraham Harriman and all these other blue bloods were combining Krupp manufacturing with the German armament, with U.S. steel, interlocking directorates. They had this whole idea of a new world order before George H.W. Bush ever got it, and he got it from his pappy. <laughs> And so hold it. I, I, am I am I gathering that you're not a Bush fan? <laughs> I, I I wouldn't give you ten cents for the whole family. <laughs> you, know? you know I'm with you, but I you know I think back my I, I think back to my my grandfather was in the the Second World War, and um, he came from a different democratic upbringing i think i think it's shifted hasn't it look uh, i came from the same democratic family and they thought franklin roosevelt saved their homes in the depression they had pictures of franklin roosevelt around the house in the 50s when i grew up franklin roosevelt i'm, I'm going to write a book on franklin roosevelt god willing i live long enough i'm going to make it clear that he architected world war ii he engineered and baited the japanese to attack us in pearl harbor and he didn't warn the good troops out there and he took the admiral and the 
general out there and scapegoated them, which was a damn fool thing to do. And he did it because not for Churchill. Roosevelt didn't particularly like Churchill because Churchill is admiralty when Roosevelt was in the Navy Department working for Secretary of Navy Daniels. Uh, Churchill had come to a meeting in Great Britain and walked past Roosevelt and didn't even acknowledge him. And Roosevelt's this big to-do family, Dutch family, you know, upper blue blood family in New York. He thought he should have been recognized. So he liked Stalin, though, and uh, was happy to go to war. So Stalin didn't get destroyed by Hitler. And uh, best way to make sure that Stalin had a chance was to make sure Japan didn't attack Stalin too. So if Japan attacked us, because we took, we cut off their oil, that's fine with Roosevelt. You had Len Lease giving all the equipment over here to Stalin. And then at the end of it, the guy who ran Len Lease said he found these containers and Roosevelt was shipping uranium to Stalin at the end of World War II. The compromise of uh, of our atomic secrets started at the White House. Okay, so I'd have it would have been okay with me. I'd have said if I had been alive back then, if I had always been mad, argued with God like they do in the Bible over two things. Number one is, I want why wasn't I born in the 1930s? I'd have gone over to Hitler and I'd said to him, uh, "How much do you want for the Jews? I'll buy them all." How much you want? Because he had taken money at that time. Now, probably couldn't have convinced them all to leave, but for the avoiding the horrendous crime. It was terrible. And and then to get the gene pool. I'll take the gene pool. Just sell me these people. I don't care how much you want. In $1933, I would have thought to myself, the way these guys are going to inflate the currency once they get around the fiat currency, and that was coming because Roosevelt was printing money too. I said, basically, we'll just buy them. It'd be cheap for the price. Okay, but the second thing, the second thing I was mad about was the. I think the solution to World War II was to let Stalin and um, Hitler duke it out and then go after whichever one won mm. or, or to have let Patton go ahead and head to Moscow, although we didn't really want to fight much more anymore, and we weren't ready to start dropping atomic bombs on them, although they didn't have one yet. But at any rate, the these were two great crimes, and I, I, I'm going to write a book explaining how Roosevelt and Harry Hopkins, who was a communist and was his top advisor, architected World War II by baiting the Japanese into attacking Pearl Harbor, and allowed a lot of good people to dying, engineered a war in which um, half a million 500,000 Americans died and a lot more were in, injured and wounded. A lot of families were disrupted. And um, Roosevelt made those decisions starting the deep state where we can architect a lie and have y'all believe it. And that's a perfect segue into my next question, because I, I've, I, I do a lot of live streams and I talk an awful lot about um, giving up the programming that you have that was given to you by other people and institutions and preachers and priests and nuns and rabbis. And, and, and there is, it sounds like it's been going on forever um, on a political level, at least it, this great manipulation of people's minds. 
And you, I know you talk a lot about that as well. Talk about, because there is this 80 million of us love Trump and there's another giant percentage that hate Trump. And I mean, hate him. About and seven, I, about only about, only about 17%. The rabid left is only about 17%. But why and, do they hate him so much? Okay. The, uh, I started studying this with Bernays when I met Bernays and talked to him. He wrote a book in 1928 called Propaganda. And uh, Garibald's wanted to have him, even though he's a Jew, come back to Germany. Of course, Bernays didn't do it, but Goebbels used the techniques. Uh, the I guess the uncle or one of the relatives of Bernays was Sigmund Freud, and he brought Sigmund Freud to the United States. He brought Caruso to the United States and Sigmund Freud to the United States. And uh, Bernays was all, you know, the time I spent with him, it was clear he was enamored with this idea that human beings are you know, the subconscious, which was deeply sexually oriented. That's a little bit wrong, but can be communicated to in the subconscious and subliminal levels. You know, the reason that uh, they showed cars still do with beautiful women next to them as models is because of the subliminal nature of communications and, and communicating to people on different levels. And Bernays always would say, uh, don't tell people things, show it to them. Well, in 1917, when Woodrow Wilson decided to get us on into World War I, he had um, created a propaganda committee. George Creel headed it, and Bernays participated on it. And they manufactured the story about the horrible Hun and engineered us into World War I, which the American people did not want to fight. And then World War II came along with Pearl Harbor, and we didn't want to fight it again. I think Julian Assange is right. Most of the, all the wars the last 50 years or more have been engineered by the media for the moneyed interests. Well, our money's made in big business and banking when wars occur, and wars are, have been profitable. Today, of course, we had the ability to destroy the entire planet in about 20 minutes. And so yeah. wars are now we got to re-examine all this. But the point is, even the CIA and the CIA is fundamental business of the CIA is dealing drugs. It's been in the drug business since the OSS when it was dealing drugs with Chiang Kai-shek, who was a nationalist supporting the United States to go against the Japanese. What that the Chiang Kai-shek army was basically a drug army. They were the first to understand the Golden Triangle in Southeast Asia and how good it was for producing drugs. They were making a lot of money, and our, our OSS started making a lot of money. And wow. uh, we still deal drugs. I caught um, HSBC Bank uh, money laundering. Comey was on the board. Our treasury knew all about it. Our, our intelligence agencies knew all about it. Comey was on the board of HSBC. Uh, Loretta Lynch was the prosecutor who charged a $1.9 billion fine to HSBC. HSBC, but she didn't put anybody in prison. And Mueller, I think, was head of the FBI. These criminals. What's HSBC? The Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. It was wow. drug. It was drug laundering drug money and terrorist money. And um, John Cruz, a relationship officer in Long Island, couldn't get anybody to listen to him, but he brought to me a thousand pages of bank records. And I had the middle career I had was working in international finance. That's where I met Donald Trump. And uh, it was virtually, I had a stretch limousine in those years. And 
I was wow. virtually living in the plaza as a VIP guest. And of course, Donald Trump owned it. And he would, as owner, was gracious. And we knew each other professionally. Yeah. And we're not great friends, but we have known each other for decades. At any rate, um, the whole idea here that uh, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank was created by the British in China in the 1800s, late 1800s, to run the drug trade. And the drug trade, opium, came out of Iran. By the way, with us in Afghanistan, I've always asked the question, why are we getting more heroin poppies when we were guarding the poppy fields with the military than when the Taliban was running uh, Afghanistan, they got rid of the poppy fields? Well, the answer is CIA. They, <laughs> the fox guarding the hen house. And the family in Iran that was involved in the drug trades in the 1800s was the Namazi family. They, they had shipping and they produced the uh, opium and they got it into China through the shipping networks they had through Singapore and the like. And I've been to Singapore. I've, I've researched all of this. And the Namazis are a very famous family in Shiraz and part of uh, Iran. And the person born in a Shiraz in a Namazi hospital in Shiraz is Valerie Jarrett. She was born in the Namazi hospital. Wow. And the Namazi family was here in the United States when I wrote Atomic Iran in 2006, exposing John Kerry and his determination to get nuclear weapons in Iran and in North Korea. That was a that was a democratic effort in those years to start wars. Well, a Namazi was one of the top fundraisers for John Kerry and for Hillary Clinton. I exposed the Mazi in Atomic Iran, actually went to a deposition where he was being accused of being the, an agent of the Mullahs. Someone was suing him or he was suing somebody. I went to the deposition of the Mazi. The Mazi is now in federal prison because after being a famous Democratic fundraiser and bundler, he defrauded several major banks by filing fraudulent papers in order to get million dollar loans. He represented himself as an investment um, manager, but he was just a criminal. Wow. You know? Wow. That's Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. That's the that's how corrupt our intelligence, that's the CIA. The CIA also ran Operation Mockingbird 50s where they were paying the press to tell their lies. Yeah. Uh, they had a program in psychedelic drugs and to how to get people controlled by drugs. They were on the Aldous Huxley theme back in the 50s. Control people with drugs and propaganda and lies architected by the CIA. The Russians were competing with us in disinformation. I've done a lot of study of disinformation. And one of the defectors from Romania, uh, who is, uh, wrote a book called Disinformation, wrote several really brilliant books. Um, I got to know him very well. He was publishing for WorldNet Daily. Wow. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of studies because of my interest in Bernays. And I realized when my dad, these were always questions I've had all my life. My dad would say to me things like, ask questions like, um, how many people does it take to change the world? And of course, I would say, well, it takes 12. He said, <laughs> well, why? He said, well, it, Jesus Christ didn't have a printing press. He didn't have, never wrote anything. He didn't have television, didn't have the internet. Of course, the internet wasn't around when I answered this question. He said he had 12 people he talked to, and they wrote a book called The Bible, New Testament, and he changed the world. And so 
I said, he said, why didn't you say 13? Because Jesus Christ had been among he among the 12. I said, Dad, well, the real answer then is it takes one because Jesus Christ chose the 12. And yeah. so it just takes one to change the world. Well, you know, and <clears throat> do you think Trump's going to win this election? 100% certain of it. A thousand percent certain of it. He'll start winning even today. Uh, I think within... I really think by the end of the month, uh, Biden will be given an opportunity. And I explained this in my Corsi Nation podcast today. My podcasts are just gaining viewers tremendously. And I, I, yeah, I want to put your we uh, your websites now scrolling across the bottom, CorsiNation.com, filled with amazing wisdom. Your 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 shows are incredible. Well, I've got I'm selling off all my books. I have yeah. a lot of authors' copies, which are original books from the publisher and I'm signing them. I'm just signing my name in them and I'm um, selling them because they'll be collector's items now. Yeah. And when these are sold, I'm not going to get any more. Okay. That's it. And I've got books going back. I've written 25 books since 2004 and they cover a lot of subjects. I said, I wrote some of the early books on the Minutemen. Of course, the Democrats want to reopen the border. I talk about the Catholic church and its corruption on and becoming socialist liberation theology. Now we've got Pope Francis, who might as well be just an outright Marxist, telling us we should have abortion because this will help us with global warming. These nutcases don't understand science at all. And they just understand propaganda and ideology. At any rate, I've had books on oil. 2006, I wrote Black Gold Stranglehold. I told you oil is not dinosaur soup and went back to the Fisher Trop's equations in a book called The Great Oil Conspiracy showed you how the Nazis had used these equations developed in the Weimar Republic. Germany had coal, but it didn't have oil. And these equations showed how oil is synthesized in the earth naturally. Yeah. And the Nazis used them to convert coal into oil. And that can be done. We, we, and I went to the archives and found all the Fisher Trop's equations, got all the pictures of the Fisher Trop's plants the Nazis had built, got pictures of us bombing those plants because uh, the strategic bombing assessment that Franklin Roosevelt at least had the good sense the end of the war, war to ask to be done. You know, we did all this bombing. Did it do any good? We found the bombing populations just made them mad. think we were vicious, wanted to defeat us harder. The only bombing we really did at the end of, in, through World War II that was any good, the Germans were making as many Messerschmitts at the end of the war as the beginning of the war. Uh, we bombed their ball bearing factories at great loss of human cost in Schweinfurt in Germany, great distance from Great Britain. And uh, the only bombing we did was to bomb their chemicals and oil. At the end of World War II, the Nazis still had lots of panzers. They just ran out of oil. Right. That's how we beat them. At any rate, so there's books on oil, which I've been fascinated about since I was a kid and was telling people in 2006 when they had the peak oil guys around and said, you're running out of oil. I said, you guys are insane. You think that how many dinosaurs do you think it takes to make a, a barrel of oil? I said, look, I had a cat <laughs> when I was a kid and I buried it, died. And I said, I, I dug it up a few years later to see if it any oil. I found a few bones and a couple of teeth and things, but there wasn't any oil. I said, oh my God. Human tissue decomposes. Right. And that's why we bury people because they stink. And, you know, the Bible does not say from dust into oil. 
It says from dust unto dust. Our composition, the, the energy that it takes to produce our bodies decomposes when we die. Right. It doesn't get to a higher form of energy. I mean, this insanity. Said, Have these people read the second law of thermodynamics? That's why I basically thinking to myself as a kid, read my father's college textbook about organic and inorganic chemistry. These people are, I think dogs are smarter. At least dogs know what they're doing. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I read that every day. I try to brush up. On, I, no, I've, no, I've never read it. But, but you're talking about scholars that are saying this stuff that, that, that are supposed to know. Well, look, I, I've got books on, uh, on the deep state. I've been talking to uh, 2000. Uh, 11 and 12, I was writing America for sale. I could see China. I could see we were going to sell ourselves. I've uh, Security and Prosperity Partnership in North America. I've got a book called The Late Great USA because I knew the Bush family was were globalists. George H.W. Bush was saying uh, we're going to have a new world order. I'm saying we got Jesus Christ. Why do we need any new world order? I don't need your new stinking new world order. You guys funded Hitler. I'm going to listen to your father. Prescott Bush, at least, at least George W. George H. W. Bush fought in World War II, and he was on the Iwo Jima aircraft carrier. Yeah, in Pacific. Well, there's another guy in that carrier named Robert Stinnett. Stinnett was a photographer. He ended up in the Oakland Tribune, and he took some very famous sports pictures. A guy catching a pass in an end zone. Yeah. Well, when he retired, uh, he actually put together. He started researching. Roosevelt in the uh, engineering Pearl Harbor, he wrote a book called A Day of Deceit about Pearl Harbor. Now, Stinnett was on the Iwo Jima, and when George H.W. Bush returned from his flying his uh, fighter plane around and taking reconnaissance pictures of the Japanese ships, Stinnett would uh, develop the pictures. I've got a couple of books here that Stinnett did when George W. Bush Bush about George W. Bush and the Iwo Jima. I've got a couple of books signed by him. Well, when Stinnett uh, wrote this book, Days of Deceit, and I really got into it, uh, someone about 15 years ago gave me their library in Pearl Harbor. I'd actually written a novel on Pearl Harbor that Roosevelt engineered it when I was in graduate school. I wrote that in 1972. Wow. I've been on this topic for a long time. So I said, well, Stinnett, I looked at his footnotes. I said, this guy's got to have research. He had, and so I finally find the archives. I said, I tracked it down. Uh, the Independence Institute, where Stinnett had spoken, and there were videos from Stinnett talking about Pearl Harbor. I found through the Independence research, I found the Hoover Institution had the papers. Okay, so great. I'm going to go get. So, the middle, middle of the pandemic, I, I find the family, the Stinnett family. I want the papers. And I say, well, we're, the papers were given to the Hoover Institute. Well, the Hoover Institute didn't want them, evidently. They got them, They put all these papers in storage somewhere. They, did, they had to go find them. Cold locker. I mean, yeah. you know, wait a minute. Let me tell you. Let me finish the story. Yeah. I, I'm saying to the Hoover Institute, well, get them out of there. I want to read them. Gate, I'm public. I got a right to read those. Well, Dr. Corsi, it's a pandemic. It's going to take us a long time to get them out of there. So, well, look, I'll get... I'll, I'll fund it. I'll get this group over here. They know how to go in. They just, this group over here just went in the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they put their entire memorabilia collection on the internet. I said, uh, 
I'll, I'll get a, one of these companies. I'll go in and put that entire collection on the internet. It'll take me about a week. Yeah. And everybody can see it. Well, Dr. Corsi, we have our rules and you're going to have to come in here and you can't bring your own cell phone. What do you mean I can't bring? Well, I want to scan the, well, doctor, these are very precious papers. How could they be precious? You've had them in the storage all this time. Right. Okay, so I caused all this trouble and I'll <laughs> get the papers eventually. But that's, you know, that's the, that's how one book leads to another. I'm writing about Jack Kennedy being killed by the deep state. I'm writing about George W. Bush and these books, which I'm now selling donations. I'm putting my book coup d'etat. And silent no more. How I told Mueller to take a hike. I wasn't going to take his lousy play deal. Is that what you said? <laughs> I told him to go f himself. <laughs> take his whole group with him. I uh, I knew that's what you said. I I had to put it out there. But so my I did it when my you know they wanted us. We're going to charge you for twenty five years. You'll be the jury will hate you. You'll go to prison. Spend the rest of your life in prison. My wife Monica woke up one day. Just out of the blue, first thing she said to me, I was sitting there on my computer wondering how I was going to deal with Mueller. And she said, I'd rather spend the, the rest of your life visiting you in prison than not have you be the man I married. Well, I had, it was impossible for me to think about putting my hand in the Bible and swearing to God about a crime I didn't commit. I just couldn't do that. I'd get rehearsed. I'd get halfway. I said, Judge, this is nonsense. I didn't do this. this these guys forced me to do this. Now, they put a gun to General Flynn's son's head and said, we'll pull the trigger if you don't lie for us. That's suborning perjury. And I won't be satisfied until uh, I wrote a book about Silent No More, about yeah. Aaron Zelinsky, Jeannie Ree, David Goldstein coming after me for Wiseman, who was, and these three suborned perjury with me by pressuring me that way. And so I wrote this book, Silent No More, when I still didn't, I said, I'm not doing their deal. I'm going public. I, I went to do all the interviews. And of course, MSNBC, when they thought I was going to prison, were happy to have me show on their shows. And I had to fight all those jerks off when they'd say nonsense and try to trap me. But the point is, Jeannie Ree shows up on the day I'm supposed to go to the grand jury. She's wearing a see-through blouse. I put this in the book. Wow. I'm saying, well, what's this about? She's an wow. officer of the court. She's good. I mean... That grand jury is going to be looking. I don't think they I said, at least they won't be looking at me. <laughs> oh my God. So, so that is unbelievable. Uh, so you fought, you, you fought the law and you won and, and, and beat Mueller and the FBI and all of that. I went in to the, see them and I got them. Look, they knock on my front door and, uh, it was in August, just before my birthday, and uh, 2018. And uh, we had two German Shepherds at that time, and the German Shepherds could taste FBI. They, mm. they, wanted, they wanted to get in. So we had to put them in the basement. They served me the subpoena. I said, okay, you know, we'll, well, I'm not going to talk to you today. My lawyer will be in touch with you. And I went in and I asked my attorney, David Gray, at that time, was a brilliant guy who, my local attorney, really not been to Washington. He was still buying his kids souvenirs when we were going to see Mueller. He'd get up early in the morning and go buy souvenirs. In and Washington. So in Washington, he said that was kind of cute. And so I said, David, couldn't they get a subpoena and come in here and tear down the door and get all my computers? So well, we're just going to give them all that. So I went in and we, my computers, my cell phones, I helped Quantico. 
when they needed to get in the two-way verification, you know, yeah. I, I helped them get into my passwords and my email accounts. So I went in and they started playing this, you know, you forgot a few emails. Now you're going to jail a whole bunch of them, all the prosecutors and this FBI, 10 of them look, get out of the room and leave. And this, we're in this little conference room in Southeast Washington. It's not a, a, a building that's named for, there's no, it's they're renting this building and they're not known on, you can't see that they're there by the directory in the front lobby or anything. And so we have to get the computers over and I'm sitting in this room for an hour or more with a clock going on. I'm back at school looking at the damn clock. And it's <laughs> one of the reasons I left school, I didn't want to look at the clock anymore. Right. And so I'm, you know, and they're over there discussing whether they're going to put me in prison. Well, the basic rule I told David, just tell these guys if they want to mess with me, I'm the don't I thought these guys could profile. I'm the wrong guy to mess with. They mess with me. Uh, I'm coming after their, the, I'm not going to be satisfied till they're in prison. Right. And, and this, and this is going to be a horror show for them. I'm going to have them all arguing with each other. I'm going to have them all screaming at each other, all <laughs> mad at me. And at the end, they won't know what to do with me. And that's what I did. Okay. Now I'm sitting in this room by myself and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with passing the time? So I start playing in my head. Uh, I was stuck on that time, Beethoven's fifth concerto, the emperor. So I was sitting there going through that. And then I said, now, let me count the, let me see what's in this room. I said, I asked myself a question. Is this furniture bought or rented? So now how am I going to answer that question? I posed to myself. And I said, well, I think I got an answer. These chairs fit under the conference table and the, the arms are kind of nicked. And that's from pushing them under. So I, I think this furniture's surplus furniture. These guys got in this temporary office from government surplus. So I said, now are the chairs originally matched to the conference tables? So I started studying that, and I finally figured out. Well, the niches on the chairs didn't match where they hit the table going under it. So the chairs were from a different set than the conference tables. Oh my gosh. And and this, this is while they're arguing about what to do with you. Yeah. I'm analyzing the furniture in the room, trying to count the everything and trying to measure it and see what's going on. You know, I, this, um, and, and yesterday Trump, you know, as you know, issued a bunch of pardons and, and, um, you know, I, I, which is, I, I don't know how you feel about that. I think it's probably a good thing, personally. Well, what do you I do? was I, I was glad that um, uh, the uh, Congressman Stockman was one I was particularly pleased about because he's in Texas and I've known his uh, beautiful wife and uh, they just went after him because he dared to uh, challenge Nancy Pelosi and some things and she just went yeah. after him. And that was a political prosecution. He's been in prison about three years. Unbelievable. And I find her appalling personally. Oh, she's she's another one who's going to have. I mean, complete traitor. Uh, I look okay, Nancy Pelosi. Where'd you get your money, Nancy Pelosi? Well, very easy. She married this guy in real estate. Then she's in Congress, so they knew the government was going to get rid of this Presidio. I've been looking at the Presidio for a long time as a kid in San Francisco and watching it and seeing it all the years I was on the West coast. It was a particularly important 
uh, army base because it had a view over the Pacific coming into the uh, bay there at San Francisco. It was a great military. Well, they were going to privatize that. And Nancy Pelosi and her husband got the deal to privatize it. They made millions of dollars because she was in Congress and she got the lock on the Presidio going private. I thought that's a crime. Jeez. What do you say to the people that, <clears throat> you know, and it, it disgusts me anytime I read an article that says all of the Trump supporters that were all a bunch of conspiracy theorists and, and, you know, all of this about, and then Dominion filed a lawsuit against the Trump campaign or a, a Dominion employee. And, and it's like, all of this stuff that's going and the the censorship on especially social media like it's all mind blowing to me and 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 I can see though where if you are a Biden supporter um, or you hate Trump for whatever reason I can see where all of that would get to you and make you think yeah the Trump people are just a bunch of conspiracists. Well, they. I've been fighting all these issues much of my life. I mean, I've never gone along with the typical way people see things. And right. And I'm also deeply religious. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I think the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament are fundamental to who we are as human beings. And I think if we deviate from that, we become criminals. We become, we head towards Satan. Yeah, there's a lot of consequences of heading in that direction. Uh, and a lot of the work I've done has been, you know, anti-terrorism, riots, disorders. Uh, I've been in a lot of riots. Uh, I've been seeing them from the inside and, you know, worked with a lot of the military, always in contracts. I never had a government job. and never was in the military. I had eczema. They wouldn't. I went to my draft physical in 1968 expecting to be inducted. And they wrote all over my paper that had horrible eczema. And they, like my skin, I guess, was not good enough to kill the Viet Cong. So they sent me home. <laughs> and, and I always had this, you know, kind of jaded aspect of I was going to be forced to go through all these things, which I immediately thought were ridiculous, like school. And yet I was going to have eight years. I'd sit down and think about how many years was it going to be until I didn't have to deal with my mother anymore. And I calculated, well, that's going to be, I'm six years old and maybe, I don't know, 12 more years. I'm thinking, that's a, how, am, what am I going to do that, to get through these 12 years? Wow. Okay. And so uh, she'd be, one time she was yelling and screaming at me. And I, and I said, Jerry, why are you looking at the clock? I said, well, I think you're three minutes mad. What do you mean? I just want to find out if I'm right. Said first minute, you're gonna tell me what I did was wrong. Second, you can tell me how that made you feel. <laughs> the third minute, I'm gonna promise not to do it again. Okay, that's gonna take three minutes, Bob. I just want to see if I was right or wrong. Is there and you're six? No, oh, that that was about that was younger than six. Oh my god! And uh, and she says anything I said to you made any impact on you at all? I said, yes, it has. And to what, what's, what it, I said, I've come to realize how easy it is to get you just to go insanely angry and mad and just lose, lose it. So I did see that. And I wow. know where those buttons are. 
So, so somebody asked a question in the comments. I don't know if you've seen where I've been putting comments up no. on the screen, but um, somebody asked a question about, um, you know, well, first they want to hear more about this election okay. and your thoughts on it. But second, they, they want, people are asking like, Hey, who's, who do you think's going to end up in jail? Do you think some people are going to end up in jail? A lot, okay. a lot. Okay. Here's what I think is happening. Uh, I don't talk to Donald Trump. He doesn't call me for advice. And I basically, with my podcast and other ways of working with people, try to get out. And I've had influence through architecting many things over the past few years. And my books have changed elections, et cetera. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you what's going on. Now, I started getting the insight that the way for Trump to architect his way out of the stolen election in fact, in June, I wrote a book about the plan to remove Donald Trump from the presidency. We got it to him and he read it. And it explained how all this was connected, the Russian collusion, the Ukrainian impeachment trial in the Senate, the Antifa, how they were running this coup, who was behind it and how to beat it. In fact, I told him they're going to use the 25th Amendment and go get Pence's signature. He wanted to be vice president another time. And he thought that Trump was sane and sound mind. And I came up here and I also wrote a book, Trump Wins, which shows how he's going to win. And um, I said the best way for him to do it is Jack Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, and I started, uh, I had spent, I got to know Kennedy as a kid. I'd seen him a lot in Congress. I'd been watching him. Uh, times I would be in New York. I've, I've seen it. I saw him in, in you know, in Washington. I saw Kennedy many times personally in public. I was a kid. He wasn't going to pay any attention to me, but at any rate, I studied him. And uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, Kennedy was basically a playboy, but he had this dimension to him, spoiled rich playboy. But he had a dimension to him that when he, he had an ability to get, like he could be sitting in a hearing and not particularly, probably thinking about who he was going to call to go to dinner with that night. And then, then he'd have a minute, he kind of look and he'd, he'd come back and he'd get it. So he had a deeper dimension to him, which got him to write profiles and courage. And um, Kennedy had that ability. He was, he, as he got older in his life, he was changing. And the Cuban Missile Crisis came. And in October, our U-2s found that Khrushchev and Soviet Russia had put in these missiles uh, nuclear weapons in Cuba. And Kennedy now had a crisis and he had to deal with it. He had to get the uh, military told him that the missiles had, were not yet operational, but they could go operational in a very few days. And then Russia could start firing them on us 90 miles from our shore. Kennedy had to get rid of the missiles and our generals, including Curtis LeMay, who was known as wanting to bomb everything, wanted to bomb Cuba and wanted to invade it. And that was going to be World War III. We're going to have nuclear weapons exchange with Khrushchev. And Kennedy basically was faced with being the last president or solving this crisis favorably, which initially seemed impossible. But 13 days later, after they found the missiles, the missiles were on a boat headed back to Russia. Now, how he did it was the first thing he did is he pulled together a very small team. 
and he got this team of people he could trust. Yep. And I've been saying to Trump for some time here, get rid of Pat Cipollone, get rid of Meadows unless Meadows comes on the team. All these people are architecting to get you gone. Be a lot better if we just get rid of Donald Trump. Well, I said, that's the psychological operation they're running against you. That's what they want you to think. The truth is, Harris is going to be president, and she's a Marxist. And what the left does when they get power is there's no more elections, and then she'll indict Biden because the same reason, and then she'll go after AOC and Sanders because when Hitler gained power in 1933, he killed uh, his uh, number one guy who created the SS. And um, uh, he basically killed all of his rivals within the party. Then he started killing the rivals in the other party. Stalin did the same thing uh, when he killed those people who got him into the, to be the uh, premier of, of Russia, killed them. Wow. So first thing Harris will do would be make sure all these Democrats are gone. Then she'll turn on um, uh, McConnell and all the rest of the Republicans, and there won't be another election. And by the way, Donald Trump, she'll turn on you and your family. Like they've already told you, you can't go back to Mar-a-Lago. And the Southern District of New York is going to try to prosecute you and your family. So forget, there is no normal after this. This is either you win or they win. They've gone all in. I think they did it too early. I think they're going to lose. But get a small group together. And, I, and the group that's come together have largely involved people like Giuliani, who yeah. I've, I've met and is um, I've greatly admired for his entire career back to mayor of New York and back to when he was a prosecutor going after the Gambino family. Brilliant yeah. guy. Sidney Powell, who I've known, uh, know her very well. And a brilliant attorney. Did remarkable things. Got General Flynn two plea deals where he made a plea deal in front of a judge. She got those thrown out. That's almost never done. Wow. Then she got the Department of Justice to drop the criminal charges. Not ever done. And Emmett Sullivan, who still wanted to sentence uh, Flynn with a, another court that was a coward, the, you know, belonging to the John Roberts Court of Cowardice and, and Hate America, and Hate Trump. Well, she got Emmett Sullivan to drop the charges. So Flynn's free. So Sidney Powell's right in there. Uh, and they said the third one you can trust is Flynn. They said there's going to be some others that come along, a small group. Lynn Wood. Uh, there's Patrick Bryce, the guy who created Overstock. Yeah. Uh, you've got a number of people in the intelligence. Uh, and and that, that Patrick guy that you just mentioned, he's funding with his own money private investigators that are and data analysts that are going in and going – I mean, we've we've seen some of the 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 stuff, you know. In, in let me continue this, Ken, because yeah, I want to show you yeah. how. So, what Kennedy did was he had a small group. That's number one. You got to work with a small group that you can trust, and you got to. I, I, if I were Donald Trump, I'd fire everybody in the White House right now. Just fire them all. You get rid of them, and uh, give Sidney Powell's personal telephone number so she can get him anytime, twenty four hours because she and the others are going to save him. Okay, yeah. now, secondly, I get the goods. So Jack Kennedy made sure they got the goods on um, Khrushchev with putting the missiles. They had 
YouTube photographs. They had data. They could analyze it. They, they had them ready. Okay, now, what Jack Kennedy did was he took that and he decided he was going to have to get that shown to the world because that was step number one. And I've just like I've said to Trump, these were massive crimes committed. The courts are not going to help you. John Roberts is never going to decide this case because he hates you. And we'll go after John. We'll get a new Supreme Court justice. This, this is now going to be the Thomas Court. Justice Thomas is going to have the next court chief justice. Said secondly, look, so you're not going to win the courts. The mainstream media hates you. Forget it. I'm telling people to turn off the television because they're all, even Fox turned on you. Even Newsmax, they pressured them, said, made a statement about Dominion voting systems, said, get the goods. That's number one. Yeah. Well, they've done that. And this team, this brilliant legal team, in about seven weeks, have, first of all, we could see it. I mean, we could see the fraud. That This is, I'll get to that in a minute. First, I'm going to tell the, this story, then I'll explain how this all really fits together and the way I think. Uh, the So what Jack Kennedy did is he sent Adlai Stevenson. Now, I told you earlier, I think Adlai Stevenson, I thought was worthless. And I didn't trust him and he was weak. Well, this was his last hurrah. And he said to Jack, I'll take the pictures. Let me, let me handle, he was our ambassador to the United Nations. Now, the Kennedys were about ready to pull the plug on him at any time because they didn't trust that he could pull it off. He was really kind of an egghead. He was kind of weak. Adlai Stevenson went into the United Nations and he's here with the Russian ambassador. And the Russian ambassadors, like the Democrats, are playing Baghdad Bob. They're saying, there's nothing, we don't have any missiles in Cuba. We, don't, we wouldn't put nuclear weapons in Cuba. We didn't do it. It's you, the United States. You're causing the war. You're the troublemaker. You're coming after us with this false accusation because you want war. And um, Stevenson says, you know, baits him into this, gets him to commit to this, says, I want you to answer my question. Do you have nuclear weapons in Cuba? Yes or no? And says, don't wait for the translation. He knew the Russian ambassador spoke English. I want to know now. And that it was kind of that was kind of a funny moment that broke a little bit of the tension. And the ambassador says, very diplomatic, Mr. Uh, Mr. Stevenson, you will get your answer in due course. And Steven mm -hmm. says, I'm prepared to wait until hell freezes over. <laughs> so finally, Stevenson got some backbone and he next pulls out the easels and they come in with these easels like an art show. And they take these big blown up pictures and they put them on the easels. And Stephen says, this is a U2 photograph. And let me show you what it shows. These right here are your missiles in crates coming in from the boats. And here's the, these are missiles that go on a truck. They're portable missiles. And here's the class they are. And here they are being made operational. Well, those were classified pictures. We had Gary Powers in 1958 was shot down over Moscow with a flying a U-2, uh, but we never saw the pictures. And Kennedy actually had to declassify them to, because, and, and by the way, Trump has begun declassifying. And Trump, by the way, can make Sidney Powell, he can, de he can give her classification and he can make her a special prosecutor on his own authority. And I've encouraged Trump to understand the power of the presidency is enormous and begin using it. And he's starting to do that. He'll he'd be yeah. very effective now that he 
you know, sometimes for Trump, it's a little difficult to get organized, but then he gets it and he, then he's brilliant. Trump's so genius. Yeah. I've, I've known him for a long time at any rate. Okay. So Jack Kennedy gets these pictures shown and the world is realizing that from 70,000 feet in 1962, we had technology that can fly over and take pictures where you can about read the license plates and, and it's done because now the uh, Soviets know that they've been caught. Okay. Now, uh, this past week, this woman, Ruby, in Atlanta, who was the woman who was taking pictures of herself, and she was in there, they threw out all the GOP watchers, and they pull out the ballots from under the table. you all seen the video, and then they start running them through the machines. Well, a couple of federal agents parked themselves outside of Ruby's home. The neighbor kind of got upset, said, you're scaring Ruby. Why are you here? So we're going to give Ruby a chance to come downtown and tell us what happened sign an affidavit. She said she's worried she's going to prison. She said she will go to prison, but not if she does what we're asking her to do. Well, Ruby went downtown. And that's the woman with the blonde braids, right? And the that's her daughter, I believe, who was supervising. Oh. Ruby's the one with a handbag that says Ruby's special. She's got a gift shop or something. She was advertising <laughs> her gift shop in her videos with her handbag. Oh, my God. We kind of made fun of her in one of our early videos, of course, nation.com, our podcast. At any rate, she gave states evidence. Now they got the goods and they went to Georgia state legislature. And they said, now we can prove vote fraud. And Russ Ramsland did that with the computer data in Antrim County in Michigan. And Giuliani's been holding these hearings. State legislatures are been told under article two of the constitution, you can pick whatever electors you want to pick. And the states today are in the process of decertifying uh, those elections, I'd say the next by, by Christmas, a couple of days from now, I think you're going to see that process moving along. And wow. these are now known to be fraudulent elections and somebody's not going to be president running a fraudulent election. OK, so continuing with Kennedy. So now Kennedy's still got a problem because, OK, caught him. But how are they going to get these missiles out here? And these generals want to go to war. They're happy to go to thermonuclear war. And uh, again, Kennedy was using one of the formulas that I've you know, devised for dealing with terrorists. Remember, I wrote a paper on the figuring out computer model to predict outcomes of terrorist events and worked yep. with all these. Psych okay, so I used to tell the psychiatrists and psychologists that criminals and terrorists are like bad playwrights. They got a great opening. We come in with the guns. Everybody's scared. They put their hands up. They give us the money. And we get, we know this, we've done, we've, you know, case the bank. We know the codes. We know we'll get the money out of the vaults. We'll get a lot of the money and we'll leave. And we got an inside job. We're going to do an Ocean's Eleven or we're going to do the Italian job with all the cars going to go. Those make good movies, but that's not real crime. Right. So that's the first act. And they got a great first act. It's a great opening of a play. And when playwrights write it, they make the crime succeed. In real life, the crime doesn't work. Because Act 2 starts. And I said, it's our job to write Act 2 and Act 3. We tell them how the play ends. Okay, Act 2 begins when the telephone rings in the bank. One of the employees picks it up and says, it's for you. Because a guy like me is on the other end. I'm asking for by the bank for the bank robber by name. But we know who they are. 
And I'm saying um, now you might want to put that money in the corner because in a couple of minutes here, it's going to explode and you're going to be covered with uh, orange dye. You don't want to do that. And I uh, might want to look outside <laughs> because there's a couple of SWAT teams out there and they, they are itching. They want, they want to kill you. This is like my German shepherds one could taste <laughs> FBI. They, they want to kill you. And I said, I'm your best way now to get out of this. And would you guys like some coffee and pizza? <laughs> you want to get them thinking. Right. The process of getting them thinking, what you're doing is you're saying act two is you didn't, you, you didn't, you got caught. You didn't pull it off. Okay. So that's all of act two. Now we're in act two right now with Biden and the Democrats and the Silicon Valley and the mainstream media, you didn't pull it off. Now, Khrushchev made a mistake. I mean, again, this is what always amazes me about criminals. I was teaching the FBI and everybody this going back to 1980. I'm saying, okay, these guys always think they're so smart. We interviewed all these guys in prison. They always, I said, well, if you guys are so smart, why are you in prison? <laughs> right. Because they're criminals and they don't, they abandon God and they begin thinking they're smart and they inevitably make mistakes because we're fallen human beings. So Khrushchev thought he was going to put the nuclear missiles in Cuba and we weren't going to notice. <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. You're <laughs> shipping nuclear missiles in there. You got guys assembling and you don't think we're going to notice. Right. You shot down one of our U2s. What do you think we're doing? We're going to find these guys think they're going to rob in the bank and they're going to get away with it. We didn't notice that they were robbing the bank. Or the voting, you guys didn't realize that there are surveillance cameras that you didn't dissemble, and they are they are photographing you in the Atlantic Center while you are throwing people out and, and bringing these ballots and counting them and running them through. You your crime was filmed, and by <laughs> the way, you use cell phones. Well, that's the NSA's got all that, right? And you used computers. The NSA has the record of the computer running all night long and other countries are monitoring you and everybody's got the data. So act two to the Democrats is you got caught and we are not letting a fraudulent election end the 2020 election. That's why Trump gave that speech last night. You could tell in the tone, Trump knows he's won. Yep. And he knows this now. Now you got to do act three. Okay. So I'm back with the terrorists and the bank and the, and I said, okay, so you guys are not getting away. Now, I said, we're, now we're going to do Act Three, and we we can end this. There's an easy way and a hard way, and you guys get to choose. Easy way is you guys come out, you surrender. But first, we're going to release the hostages. We're going to make sure that nobody's hurt. We're going to get them all out of here, and then you're going to surrender, and we're going to arrest you, and you're going to go to prison. But because you allowed us to arrest you, we're going to do a little bit less of a sentence and, and indictment that we could otherwise do. And we won't find all the people who helped you. We'll just find some of them. And, um, or the hard way. Well, the hard way is at some point or other, these police out here have been wanting to whack you for the last hour. We've been jawboning and you've been eating pizza at our expense. <laughs> you didn't even tip the guy who brought him to you, criminals. <laughs> and so, okay, eventually they're going to unplug me. And I'm not. I'm going to be talking to you, and my phone's going to go dead. And I'm going to know that they're now. That, now they're going to whack you. They're going to shoot you. They're going to kill you all. Now they're going to try to do it so they 
have to kill as few of the hostages as they have to, but you're not getting out of here alive. Now, you got that idea? I want to make sure you got that idea in, in your head solid. Yeah. Okay, we understand. Now, which do, is it plan A or plan B? I don't care. Just choose. Okay, so Kennedy, listen to these generals. And the reason he had this small team was he said, I want a new idea. I, I don't like the options you're giving me. And McCone, who's head of the CIA, said, well, we've been game planning over the CIA, this thing called a quarantine or a, a boycott, basically a blockade. But we call it quarantine because we don't want to be in a war. But we don't think it works very well. And Jack Kennedy said, tell me more about that. And he got into that. And, and of course, the, they, the military hated it. And they said his father was weak. His father did Munich. By the way, this the movie 13 Days covers this very well. If you don't know the story or didn't live through it, that movie is very good. Uh, and um, basically, Jack Kennedy says, we're going to do a quarantine. We're going to do, do that. And I'm going to communicate, basically, by doing that to Khrushchev, that we're going to give him the choice, the easy way or the hard way. If he wants to go to thermonuclear war, Jack Kennedy said, I'm going to tell him, let's do it today. Let's just get it on. Let's quit waiting. Let's do it today. You want to do thermonuclear war? Fine. Here we go. And for several of those days, everybody thought we might be in thermonuclear war. Now, mm. Khrushchev sent a telegram and he said, um, I don't know, maybe we ought to think about this. And <laughs> about 20 minutes later, the Kremlin sent said another, say, forget about what he said. We want to go to thermonuclear war. And Jack said, what do we do? Is there a coup? Was, is Khrushchev no longer in charge? Did the military take over? And they debate about it, and, and they come up with the idea, why don't we ignore the, the last telegram that came in? Why don't we pretend we didn't get it? So let's answer Khrushchev and take him up. They began back-channeling. And in back-channeling, they came up with a swap, which was we had missiles in Turkey that were obsolete. Now, Kennedy said, told the Russian ambassador that we'll take those out of Turkey six months from now. We're going to take them out anyway. We don't want to tie them to this. We don't want to see we traded, we swapped. You guys are going to take the missiles out now, and then we'll remove them, and we won't put them back, and we will agree not to invade Cuba. We'll give you something you want. Okay. And Khrushchev took the deal, and, and the missiles were gone in 13 days. Now, the deal to it's going to be given to the Democrats is the following. A lot of you guys are going to prison for treason, including Obama, who's behind this, and Hillary. And by the way, we know that uh, China was involved and Putin, the background, his own cyber attacks. And under the executive order uh, 13858, which is the one that Trump signed in um 2018, we have the ability under Section 2, once uh, Radcliffe as head of the DNI declares that we are now, uh, we are under foreign intervention in our election. He's already told that to Trump. Section right. 2 allows Trump to confiscate or actually to freeze the assets of anyone who abated a foreign nation in interfering in our election. I think that notice ought to go to Jack Dorsey, to Zuckerberg, to Zucker mainstream media, Fox, the whole bunch of them. We're, we, we're going to freeze your assets and you're out of business. 
I know you thought you were Silicon Valley and you ruled, you were God. I know you thought you had to deal with the Chinese. You thought that was going to work out well. You were going to own everything. You were, we were going to put us in prison because they didn't like Orange Man bad. <laughs> well, we got 70 million people here who want the Constitution. They want their Bibles. And, and guns. And, and God and the guns. And, they, yeah. and if, yeah. if the West Coast drops off into the ocean, they'll applaud it right now. I have some friends out there. I'd like, like, yeah, no, it's part of the problem. There are some Christians and some friends out there. We don't want that to happen. We'll, that'll get cleaned up. But the point is, Donald Trump's going to say to these people, there's going to be criminal prosecutions. Yeah. Now, Biden and Harris get a couple choices because Trump did reinstitute uh, the firing squad and I think hanging as criminal penalties, and Gitmo's been refurbished. And uh, we say now, Joe, you could give a speech and we'll, we won't even demand that you say fraud, just irregularities. And because of that, you're decided that you and Kamala Harris are going to concede because you don't want to win in a fraudulent election. And um, maybe, Joe, you won't have to go to prison. Maybe we'll put you in a government facility and treat your dementia. Kamala, mm, well, you know, maybe it won't be treason we charge you with. And we need that speech given. Okay, in the process of doing that, we resolve a lot of issues where this can be done the easy way. But it's going to be done one way or the other. So where are we? Do you think we're currently in Act 3 right now? We're in Act 2. Okay. And what's happening now in the country's going to, the next few days through Christmas, the country is going to realize the Democrats got caught. Mainstream media is going to realize they didn't pull off this heist. And all their BS, all their lies, they've all been recorded, all their backroom discussions about how they were going to do this. The NSA has all those conversations that they did them on phones. They were on television. All this stuff is recorded. NSA's got everything. We'll deal with that later, whether they should have all that or not what they were really doing with it when they had it, like working with Putin and betting on the stock reports when they had the insider trading information yeah. from having done electronic surveillance on the financial uh, officers of major Fortune 500 companies and reading their quarterly reports before they went public. I guess that might be some advantage to someone on Wall Street. At any rate, somebody in the audience just said, what do I need to do and how can I help? And I, I would say, you know, you're, you're putting out some absolutely phenomenal information, great information. And there's literally people can go to coursynation.com. There's a donate button for people to help fund what you're doing to bring attention to all of this. You're selling your books on there. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Well, the donations have helped us greatly as I've been doing this full time and I haven't really been able to do any of the business activities. And uh, this has been full time. Donations greatly help. Uh, I'm selling all my books. And this is the last group I'm going to. So if you want one of these and the collectible, go on Courtney Nation and get, you know, they offer $100. I'll sell you the a coup d'etat sign in silent no more offer two, uh america for sale uh plus the um lake great usa or any of the other books they're all in the on buy the books yeah donate those to be help us greatly 
Uh, the point is that some resources would help get this done. And and Patreon, all my past podcasts are there. You really need to listen to not just one, but several of them to get the, the feel of how this has been systematic, how we've done that. Now, by the way, I'm not claiming credit for any of this because Donald Trump could have figured all this out on his own. And I did not speak with him during this process and uh, have really had limited contact with Giuliani or General Flynn or Sidney Powell, especially as this has gotten really serious since the election. Yeah. Let them all do their own thing. And I'm not claiming it as my advice. Uh, I've just, but uh, you know, I'm monitored pretty thoroughly. And there are people who are um, letting the president, president's aware of what the, how this goes. In fact, he has, I believe one of his top ornaments in his Christmas tree in the White House is of Jack Kennedy. He understands what Jack Kennedy did. By the way, when Jack Kennedy, at the end of his life, Jack Kennedy was where Donald Trump is today. Uh, Jack Kennedy gave a speech at American University, and he said, basically, uh, we all inhabit this small planet. Mm. And he said that we and the Soviets essentially both want the same thing. We want to raise our families. He, he, Jack Kennedy would add, believe in God. We want to die um, old in our beds, surrounded by our children and grandchildren. And the Soviets want that just like we want it. So we don't have to be going to war all the time. We don't have to be architecting all of this nonsense about hating each other. Donald Trump basically has told the Israels and the Muslims to forget about dealing with the Palestinians. They're just another prop that the left has organized in order to engineer war. And uh, the, they're kept poor. They're kept angry. They're kept hateful. Just like the left creates a hateful group against Donald Trump. You know, do you really want to live in this country with Antifa shouting in your face all the time? Got a lot of work to clean this up. It's in the violence is what I think scares a lot of people. I mean, I, I didn't even put a Trump flag out. You know, I, I, I the Look, very rare occasion when I will submit and wear a mask, like going to my daughter's basketball game last night. I have a Trump 2020 mask, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's all, it's, you know, you get weird. Look, well, here, look here. I've always said this about criminals and it has always, um, gotten, you know, just like I say, what, what they didn't think we were going to know they had missiles in Cuba. Come on. And we didn't think it through. Right. And so when, when I wrote that book, telling Donald Trump about the plan to remove Donald Trump from office, I said, you know, these people are going to go out and act up in the streets with Antifa, just like they did the Russian collusion and we beat Mueller. I wouldn't take the plea deal. They couldn't get the Russian collusion link with Assange they wanted. They had to shut chop. They, you know, they we couldn't get to Ukraine. I said, you don't think people are going to look at Antifa and say this is a, like Esper, the military, this is a peaceful movement for racial justice, that it needs a First Amendment. I said, you gotta be, You guys are smoking dope. You're, the dope the CIA is getting out of Southeast Asia, you guys are smoking. I so, said, wait, American people are going to look at this and they're going to say, I don't want to live like this. No. So they've just exposed, the corruption has just exposed itself. They've just shown you how corrupt they are. They just showed you the prison they want you to go into. They just showed you how they want to kill the old. Yeah. And, it, and, 
And I say this all, the election fraud comes down to a, a married couple have been married 50 years and they're sitting in Iowa and they're watching the TV about the election night and the next days and following. They've been watching Annie Fa and they, and the husband turns to his bride of 50 years and says, Martha, what do you think? And she says, this ain't right. Right. That's the whole deal right there. They lose because the American people say this ain't right. And we aren't putting up with it. That's where they lost. And we got them like Satan prancing in the street, throwing feces at each other and screaming and acting up and burning and looting. What, what Satan thinks we're going to be scared. Well, doesn't scare a guy like me. I mean, I'm saying you guys are nuts. Right. You know, I mean, I'm not putting up with this. And besides that, you want me to be scared about my, my, I'm going to die anyway. I'm not going to take any of this with me. I'm not here to be judged by material things. I, I want to end when I, when I face God, only one question I'm going to ever have to answer. And that is, were you a faithful servant? And I'm aiming to be able to say, yes, I'd say you're doing it. Belinda Raul asks, um, we are out of time. I've been hearing they will pay for the last four years. Is it real this time? Let me show you a few articles that are being shown right now that are on. Uh, I'll, I'll just pull the headlines down. You can come to your own conclusion. It's going to take people a while to realize that we've won because the media propaganda has been so intense. Uh, let me show you what's up here now. For instance, we can start with the uh, uh, the Liberty Daily, and uh, let's me let me just kind of refresh it, make sure I've got the right ones. Uh, emails obtained by the FBI detail how Hunter Biden landed Ukraine gas gig in 2014. Well, that's that's a that's a pretty good idea right there. That's going to turn things around. Yeah. Um, President Trump infuriated by Pence not fighting hard enough. You know, he can fire Pence, even though Pence is the vice president. He can pick a new one. He can get Pence to resign. Pence better to think about that. President Trump urges Americans to stop the theft of presidential elections. Good idea. He's not going to sign this bill. Okay, now let's go to, um, let's go to uh, the Gateway Pundit. Okay. Breaking, first story up here, breaking. That was the first story. Uh, Acting Secretary of the Department of Defense, Chris Miller, who's cybersecurity, by the way, thanks Vice President Pence for efforts in his most complex military operation in history. Wonder what that was. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, we've got here... Um, uh, let's see. Uh, this next one here, live stream. Georgia House of Representatives holds a hearing on election fraud. That's after the uh, Georgia State Senate recommended that they decertify the election and put the Trump slate of electors in, which they can do under Article 2. The state legislature is in control, both of how the election is conducted and who the electors are, and their power is plenary in both. They can do it any way they want. That's after Ruby's evidence got presented to them, and they know it's crime. And they're not going to try to hold it to it any longer. That's in the process of decertifying. Wow. 
Uh, let's see. Um, we've got a couple more here. Um, let's see. The uh, Evidently, uh, Rudy Giuliani is predicting that the Arizona um, state legislature is going to decertify the election. Georgia Judiciary Committee votes on election fraud report, says there is enough evidence to decertify the vote for Joe Biden. Okay, that's what's running right now on yeah. Gateway Pundit. Let's take a look at the um, Citizens Free Press. Breaking. Pennsylvania GOP Senate caucus invited to the White House today. wonder what they're going to discuss. Maybe the end of the um, – who's going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> Probably not. Next next one. Joe Biden has outlived his usefulness. This is an article being written on the American Thinker about how he um, has now been seen as the sock puppet that he is. Watch live Georgia House hearing on election fraud. Even the Detroit is filing a lawsuit against Black Lives Matter. That would really amuse me. <laughs> and Dominion sued Sidney Powell, uh, Michelle Ma Malkin, and Great Caitlin Pundit. I guess they now get to take depositions. I think that's probably a bad mood move there, Dominion. They, I guess they get now into your records. You might want to withdraw that lawsuit. Okay, let's see what's going on in Rantingly. Uh, first article, more GOP lawmakers back electoral college change. Well, that isn't going to happen. They're just targeting themselves for elimination. Lawsuit calls for allowing five state legislatures to certify electors before the congressional account. So they're trying to pressure them to do this. And the decertification is going on. Rudy Giuliani, Fox News won't have her on. She's going after Fox News. Let's see what's going on over here in Populist Press. President Trump gave this speech. Uh, Lynn Wood warns about bizarre gag order. Sidney Powell is complaining about being blocked. I guess we're going to fire some people at the White House today. Get rid of the people who are blocking Sidney Powell. Yeah, I heard I heard that was happening. I read that last night, actually. Yeah, well, some people are going to be gone, Cipollone. Uh, his resignation should be on Trump's desk right now. Pence may uh, reject Biden's fraudulent electors. Giuliani, lawmakers working to certify Trump as winner by Christmas. Uh, that was what's in the news headline. Let's see what's over here on gab.com. Veto. Trump is going to veto the bill. Yeah. Okay, so these are signs that uh, Trump is saying to everybody, you got caught. We got the goods. Got the evidence. Listen to my podcast. I explain how this has happened. Yeah. going to yeah. take people a while to accept it. But by the end of December, I think it's going to be clear that they got caught. And now we're into Trump's going to be president. He's going to be inaugurated. And now how do we play the end game, the easy way or the hard way? And Trump's going to say, I'm the way I play it the hard way. I'm China. You, this was an act of war. Now there's going to be consequence. What thermonuclear war? Let's have it this afternoon. We're going to have it. Let's have it now. Or, uh, let's talk about the easy way and what we might do if you decide not to have 
nuclear war and you decide to admit your crimes, at least uh, stop interfering in our election and our politics. There's going to be consequences. We're going to redo some things. And Dominion computers are going to be completely exposed. We did this in our podcast today with Bill Binney. It's, it's almost pathetic how easy it's going to be to get the forensic evidence there. It just took a while. And it took a few days. And then I said, Trump has three weeks until January um, 6th. And I said, Jack Kennedy did it in 13 days. Looks to me like Trump's got an extra week. What's he going to do with the spare time? <laughs> right. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Corsi, you're a busy, busy man. And I am genuinely honored and grateful that you spent an hour and over an hour and a half with us today. Um, so the, 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 the final analysis, final analysis is this, uh, everybody needs to pray and thank God for intervening and, and getting this right. We were within an inch of losing our freedom in the Republic. And if we lost it, we wouldn't see it for another thousand years on this planet that we've won it this day. And we can thank Donald Trump. I don't know of any other person that could have done this than Donald Trump. He had the hand of God on his shoulder. But make no mistake about it. It's not Jerome Corsi. I did very little. God, wake me up at three in the morning. Remind me, quit feeling sorry for myself to want to sleep and to get busy. Here's <laughs> full of thoughts as to what we got to do. It didn't come from my mind. And uh, we got a lot of work to do here. And um, with the grace of God, Getting and thanking God and repenting for how much we've allowed this country to go to hell with this communism and the socialism and this woke nonsense and our universities destroyed and our Supreme Courts and our courts since 1948 getting God out of everything. We got a lot to repent for. We got a lot to go to work for. And so I'm end this by saying what I always say, um, a couple of things. Donald Trump always looks like he's going to lose until just before he wins. It's going to happen again. And secondly, in the end, God always wins. And um, thank you all. God bless you all for listening and putting up with me telling stories for this time. But it was the best way for me to explain to you who I am. I don't ever plan to write an autobiography. Don't plan to ever tell half of it. Thank God. Some of the people who know it are gone. <laughs> we can forget about that part. Right. And I, all I endeavor to do is not to commit any crimes and to be faithful to God and to do what I can, what I can here to bring honor and glory to his almighty divinity. Wow. I, I, I literally have, I don't know how many times I've had full body chills during this interview, but it's been a bunch. I thank you so much. And, and I'm honored to um, call you a new friend and, 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 and be a part of, um, of, of some of the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes. So thank you so much. I, I appreciate everything that you're doing. The comments, by the way, are just filled with thank yous and God bless yous and Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. Yeah, I was forget about this uh, happy holidays nonsense. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I agree. Stay this with is, me. I'm going to end this. But this is the birth of Christ. We've got it. We've got it a right. constellation going on in the sky. Whenever the Bible, God has 
constellations going on. This is the birth of Christ. We better pay attention. This is another one of those moments in history that will be being written about for hundreds of years from now. Yeah. And uh, let the story be that we preserve freedom. And let's let the story be we're allowing God to, to rule as king, uh, as is his will done in heaven as it is on, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. May that be the case for the next thousand years. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Dr. Corsi. Don't hang up on me. I'm going to end this. Thank you so much. God bless you and your family and everything that you're doing. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. See you guys.